Opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the chance.
Okay, well, good morning, and it's been an adventurous morning for me so far. <coughs> this is Labor and Love. It's Labor, it's Love, and it's Radio. And you're tuned to Mutiny Radio on uh, mutinyradio.fm. And it's a Saturday morning where I've been struggling here with my technology. I'm looking for uh, songs to play. Play Jimmy Reed there for you. Jimmy Reed was big boss man. And then we went into a, a sort of a retro, way retro, yeah, music from the 40s. We had Glenn Miller and his uh, In the Mood. Begin the Begin with Artie Shaw. All quite without planning, because uh, I've been trying to get us to play something a little more upbeat. But it's not happening, huh? Let's see. Artie Shaw and his orchestra.
Yeah, we're back on track now. That was Artie Shaw with Summit Ridge Drive. Not exactly what I was going to open with, but who cares, huh? Saturday morning in the mission. This is The B, and you're listening to Mutiny Radio. FM. The name of the show is Labor and Love Radio. The show where we tell you how it is. One person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you work, that is, you're on the menu. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's just a waste of time. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. And for this special time, we've got a special show planned. Special time, huh? We've got crises. We've got the climate crisis, which has sort of been pushed into the background, huh? We've got the political crisis, and we've got the cat that just won't leave. The cat came back. Wouldn't stay away. The cat came back the very next day. Mr. Trump will not leave. We'll have to see how that works out. Um, there's a lot of uh, thinking that maybe what he's trying to do is work a deal for himself where he'll be pardoned and won't have to face up to all the things that he's done in these last four years as president. I don't want to say our president because he never was our president. He was always the president of his base. And everyone else outside his base, that is Democrats, moderate Republicans, people of conscience, never in his constituency and he always played to that. The special show is a <coughs> poetry show. I'm a poetry guy and uh <coughs> lined up some poetry for us to listen to. Start with one by John Donne. This is John Donne, and uh, John Donne had two different periods to his life, probably more than that. For one, he was a rake, you know, a society guy who went around and slept with as many women as he could. And later on, he became a clergyman and wrote poems like that are my heart, three person God. But this one was from his early times. And he's trying to convince himself that he's not having success with the ladies because he's too honest and they're too duplicitous. Here's how it goes Go and catch a falling star. Get with child a mandrake root. 
Tell me where all past years are, or who cleft the devil's foot. Teach me to hear mermaids singing, and keep off envy stinging, and find what wine serves to advance an honest mind. If thou beest born to strange sights, things invisible to see, Ride ten thousand days and nights till age snow white hairs on thee. Thou, when thou returnst, will tell me of all strange wonders that befell thee, but swear nowhere lives a woman true. Oh, if thou find one, let me know. Such a pilgrimage were sweet. Ah, but yet, do not. I would not go. For if at next door we might meet and she were true when you met her, that she will fall ere I come. And last till you write your letter, yet she will be false ere I come with two or three. Poor John Dunn. Okay, let's listen to uh, a poet that I've come to to admire a great deal. Uh, I, I have to say that I came up through the official poetry poetry uh, world, I guess. There were people poets at that time who were hot and some who weren't. Um, Emily Dickinson was was hot. Emily Dickinson was and Walt Whitman was hot. Mark Twain was hot even though Twain wasn't a poet. Um, these were the kind of people that uh, that that were studied at the time, and and the thing was, if you could come up with something new and different, or a reevaluation of a poet, uh, you could make your reputation. But let's see, let's see what we can get from Langston Hughes. I've known rivers, says Hughes. The Negro Speaks of Rivers by Langston I've known rivers. I've known rivers ancient as the world and older than the flow of human blood in human veins. My soul has grown deep like the rivers. I bathed in the Euphrates when dawns were young. 
I built my hut near the Congo, and it lulled me to sleep. I looked upon the Nile and raised the pyramids above it. I heard the singing of the Mississippi when Abe Lincoln went down to New Orleans, and I've seen its muddy bosom turn all golden in the sunset. I've known rivers, ancient, dusky rivers. My soul has grown deep like the rivers. Okay, Langston Hughes with his poem, Rivers. Let's take a little break from our poetry. This is Allen Ginsberg with his Capital Air. In the United States, there have no land and people I don't like the government where I live. I don't like dictatorship of the rich. I don't like bureaucrats telling me what to eat. I don't like police dogs sniffing round my feet. I don't like communist censorship of my books. I don't like Marxists complaining about my looks. I don't like Castro insulting members of my sex. Leftists insisting we got the mystic fix. I don't like capitalists selling me gasoline coke While the nationals burning Amazon trees to smoke Big corporation take over media mines I don't like the top bananas that are robbing Guatemala banks blind I don't like the KGB, Gulag, concentration camps I don't like the Maoist Cambodian death dance. Fifteen million were killed by Stalin, the terrorist war. He's killed our red revolution forevermore. I don't like anarchists screaming, love is free. I don't like the CIA, they killed John Kennedy. Paranoid tanks sit in Prague and Hungary. But I don't like how the revolution paid for by the CIA. Tyranny in Turkey or Korea, 1980. I don't like right-wing death squad democracy. Free state Iran, Nicaragua yesterday. They say fair to government keeps the secret police off of me. 
Frequently be seen in men of business and in those instances. Smoking makes you cough. You can't sing straight. You gargle on saliva and you vomit on your plate. Don't smoke, don't smoke, don't smoke, don't smoke, don't smoke. You smoke in bed, you smoke on the hill, you smoke till you're dead, you smoke in hell. Don't smoke, don't smoke, don't smoke, don't smoke, don't smoke. You buff your fag, you suck your butt, you choke and gag, teeth full of crud. Don't smoke, 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 don't, 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 don't. Girlfriend head, then you won't want a bag nor evermore a drag. 
Okay, not much mystery about what that was about. Don't smoke. And before that, we had Capital Air. And before that, we had my rendition of Go and Catch a Falling Star plus Langston Hughes. I wanted to say a few more things about Hughes. <coughs> uh, like when I was coming up at UC Berkeley studying English literature, people like Langston Hughes and uh, Maya Angelou were not taken seriously as poets. They were they were like rhymesters, you know, people who were. The attitude towards them was that they were pretend poets. They were commercial poets or certainly not in the same class as the kinds of poets we were we were studying but Hughes has grown uh, in my m in my estimation greatly his poems are not the type of poems you look at in English literature classes nor Maya Angelou Maya Angelou is more of a bard a singer of our nation play some of her, her later. This, this one of Hughes' Negro Speaks of Rivers is a, a profound poem. I mean, people built uh, movements around some of Hughes' work. What happens to a dream deferred? A raisin in the sun? Uh, the play was named after it. Anyway, I want to get back to this later. I want to play some Sylvia Plath. We got the last poets. We've got Anna Akhmatova, the great Russian poet. We've got William Butler Yeats, who at the time was considered the best uh, English-speaking poet. Sort of a meaningless phrase. But anyway, let's listen to labor radio labor
Radio Labour is our uh, weekly labour. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labour. This is a Radio Labour World Report reported on Friday, November 20th, 2020. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, how women teachers are confronting the pandemic, the just transition needed for African farmers, the Labour Start report about union events and singing. This is Radio Labour. The COVID-19 pandemic has radically changed how teachers do their jobs. See Marie Ainsborough has a report about the effect on women teachers in the Caribbean. As part of its efforts to help teachers around the world face the pandemic, the Global Union Education International has been conducting a series of webinars. One of the seminars focused on what has been happening to women teachers in the Caribbean. The moderator of the webinar was Nadine Malloy of the Jamaica Teachers Union. We have gathered here this afternoon to have a very brief discussion, a brief, brief roundtable on how it is that COVID-19 has been impacting on our female teachers or women in education in the Caribbean. And hello, I am Tricia Williams, president of the Nevis Teachers Union. On the brink of the coronavirus pandemic coming to the Caribbean, as a unit, the Nevis Teachers Union, we decided to send a survey out in terms of you know trying to get an understanding of the, the preparation that would be needed, uh, whether teachers had access to internet and to the devices. And we were able to take the information from that sur survey. And we had a discussion with our partners in education, the education department, and they assisted in terms of getting the materials that we would have needed. They decided to get the, the Microsoft platform, get us all on board. So we did several months of training for the Microsoft teams, some teachers and also students who did not have access to internet. They were provided with internet service by the government through a partnership with um, Digicel and the teachers as well, they also were provided with devices to work with. So we had uh, several training sessions via MS Teams, and uh, we also used other platforms to have meetings, um, basically. Um, teachers on a whole, they, uh, they expressed their dissatisfaction with some of the, the things that transpired as a result of um, you know, the training that involved using the online platforms. And I must say that the Ministry of Education worked closely with the Nevis Teachers Union to get the teachers on board and get them ready and also the parents and the students in this regard. So the Freitas out of Trinidad and Tobago, Trinidad and Tobago, like other territories around the world, we have been significantly affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. As educators in the first instance, we found ourselves thrown into having to navigate the virtual domain when emergency remote teaching kicked in in March of this year. 
subsequently, as our new school term has started, it started on September the 1st, we recognize there are many challenges, not only for educators in general, but for women in particular. As females, as female educators, we are called to balance the work that we do in our schools with our home and family life and those responsibilities. So we recognize as a union of educators, Tutor has had to provide quite a bit of psychosocial and socio-emotional support for our female teachers, especially ensuring that the work-life balance is maintained, ensuring that the contact time where they have to engage their students is done within the school hours and they are therefore able to deal with their personal lives. The effect of the double challenge of the pandemic on top of the climate crisis has resulted in a major UN conference on climate being canceled. The COP26 conference was scheduled to be held in Glasgow this month. However, unions are intensifying their efforts to coordinate and share information about the crisis. Just recently, a webinar was held to discuss the effect of the climate crisis in Africa. It was moderated by Sam Mason of the Public and Commercial Services Union, the PCS, in the United Kingdom. She talked to Rhoda Voltaig of the Africa Regional Section of the International Trade Union Confederation, ICFTU Africa. I'm going to move on now to Rhoda Voltaig from ITUC in Africa to bring a bit of a different perspective. Rhoda is an advocate for environmental sustainability and social justice sustainable development, social movement, building, grassroots and youth empowerment. She coordinates the ITUC's Africa work on climate change and environmental issues with a focus on training and developing capacities on climate change issues, policy development, lobbying and advocacy, design and implementation of campaigns on climate issues. So the ITUC Africa Regional Organization represents around 17 million workers around the continent. Rhoda, if I could hand over to you to talk about some of the challenges that you're facing in the Africa region. Thank you very much, Sam, and thank you very much to the organizers of this um, of this webinar. I'm very happy that at least even if we do, we, we are not able to meet at this point in Glasgow, we're able to connect virtually from wherever we are. And so thanks for this opportunity. Um, and also, specifically, I'm happy that we are able to also come on board to share the perspective from the global south, because oftentimes, we, when we talk about just transition, we have a broad focus, which sometimes is a bit more tailored to the global north. And so we're very happy to also share the experience from the global south and also just to talk about some of the challenges um, when it comes to the informal economy specifically. And so my focus today would really be, I would use agricultural sector specifically because that's the backbone of many African economies, but then also that represents the informal sector in a way. We all know that climate impacts are felt across different sectors, just as um, in the global world has got various sectors affected when it comes to climate impacts. We have the energy sector, we have the transport sector, the tourism sector, the manufacturing sector, as well as the many other sectors that are that are bearing the brunt of climate impacts. However, the, the agricultural sector for me is most significant because, as I had said earlier on, the agricultural sector is a backbone, or agriculture is a backbone of African economies, um, with many African countries 
heavily dependent on agriculture for economic growth. And so what are some of the impacts that we are seeing of climate on the agricultural sector? Largely, changes in weather patterns have, have affected the agricultural sector in diverse ways. Evaporation that's leading to drier soils and also evaporation that's leading to reduction of water bodies or diminishing water bodies has also affected the agricultural sector in diverse ways. And these impacts are felt in different ways and have also led to several impacts that we see across the, the region. And um, some of these impacts would be food security, where we have many countries now having to or facing a food crisis in a way. We also have um, impacts on jobs. We also have impacts on livelihoods. We're seeing impacts on economic growth. And so countries' GDPs that are mainly dependent on agriculture is also um, suffering or facing the brunt of the impact of climate crisis or the agricultural sector. Here with his report about union events is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Each day, Labour Start's volunteers collect hundreds of news items about the struggles of workers and their unions from around the world in 36 languages. Here's a small sample of that work. Our top story section included links to coverage of the global labour movement's response to the new Pacific Region Trade Agreement and some good news from Malaysia, where a union just won a huge victory after a seven-year-long struggle. The emerging trends in our news coverage this week include shortages of healthcare staff in countries where personal protective equipment is in short supply. In many cases, workers are being exposed to C-19 and are then being required to stay away from work, leaving their comrades to carry the load. In some crisis situations, as in Italy and much of Africa and Latin America, the workers are then reassigned to healthcare facilities that are treating only COVID-19 patients until such times as their symptoms appear, reducing their ability to function effectively. In addition to addressing the immediate issues the workers face, their unions are pressing for long-term appropriate funding for national health systems where they exist and otherwise for the nationalization of private for-profit facilities. Along with healthcare workers, transport workers are making the news this week. Air transport workers are experiencing large-scale unemployment. In countries such as Canada and Australia, their unions continue to press for income supports for both workers and airlines. But in the global south, unemployment without access to social benefits appears to be the norm. A considerable number of seafarers still find themselves long past the time when they would have rotated off their ship and returned home for a break, despite the incredible and ongoing efforts being made by the International Transport Workers Federations and its affiliate. Even road transport workers are affected. Simple things like access to toilets are again a problem as the second wave accelerates. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found news of how the 50th anniversary of the United Kingdom's Equal Pay Act was celebrated this year, a significant court victory for domestic workers in South Africa, and yet another expose of working conditions in an Indian factory producing clothing for major global brands. Our current photo of the week is of the workers who participated in the Federation of Energy, Geology, and Mining Workers Trade Unions of Mongolia Women's Conference in Ulaanbaatar in early November. Workplace sexual harassment training is part of the union's response to the repeal of Mongolia's anti-sexual harassment law as being, quote, unfair to men.
Current campaigns that we are running at the request of unions around the world include an urgent appeal for online solidarity with Brazilian municipal workers who are facing down the anti-union administration of Sao Paulo. Look for details of this and other campaigns on our site. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. The Global Union Education International represents labor organizations all around the world. Here's how it ended its World Congress in Bangkok last year. The drummer in that set was the General Secretary of Education International, David Edwards. And that's it, international labor news you can use. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. up, puts on shabby clothes, how this day will end, 
God only knows Quiet as a church As she moves towards the door She steps over her family Asleep on the floor She takes the train Up to Washington Place She's tired but she's hopeful And it shows on her face She knows it's not safe And last night she cried But she's so grateful for work That she goes inside In 1911 From the Lower East Side Just 15 years old On the day that she died At the Triangle Shirt waist factory. Barely a year since she sailed from her home for the shores of New York and dreams of her own. The men had found work and now she had two. It looked like all of their dreams would finally come true at the end of her shift when the fire broke out the exits are locked she heard girls shout Looking down from her window, she saw her friend Bessie there. She smiled a sad smile, then stepped into air. Just stepped into air. In 1911, from the just 15 years old on the day that she died at the triangle shirtwaist factory a sewing machine up on the ninth floor six dollars a week was all she asked for at the triangle shirtwaist factory shirtwaist factory shirtwaist factory shirtwaist factory job. I don't have any money. I can't buy the things 
things I have to have. I don't want to borrow, I don't want to beg. Steady work is still the one thing I don't have. Well, not too long ago, I met me a woman. She became my lover, best friend and wife. And her loving brings me all I've ever needed. Except that one thing she can't bring into my life. I don't have a job. I don't have any money. I can't buy the things I have to have. I don't want to borrow. I don't want to beg. Steady work is still the one thing I don't have. He gave me a Bible and he told me to pray. Now my poor soul can feel salvation, but I still can't seem to chase my debts away. I don't have a job. I don't have any money. I can't buy the things I have to have. I don't want to borrow. I don't want to beg. And I got my diploma when I passed every class. Now my mama's prouder, and I know I'm smarter. But this PhD won't fill my empty glass. I don't have a job. I don't have any money. I can't buy the things all my neighbors have. I don't want to borrow. I don't want to beg. Steady work is still the one thing I don't have. Yeah, steady work is still the one thing I don't have. Okay, there's some labor stuff. <clears throat> we had Solidarity Forever from Radio Labor. And uh, followed that up with Dale the Duke singing about the Triangle Shirtwaist factory fire in 1911. And Damien Muller, a steady work. Steady work is the one thing I don't have. Well, we were going to do... Uh, poetry, so let's do some poetry. Time to play some Francesca Ramsey and Fiorentini as well. Let's listen to this one by 
Tana Amaktava, Akhmatova, a Russian poet, um, came of age in the early 1900s before the Russian Revolution, um, was a popular poet at the time, Soviet Union and uh, Russia at the time, poets were hi very highly regarded, still are. See if we can get one of uh, Yevgeny Yevtushenko's poems. But Anna Akhmatova, from uh, being very popular and very well-known, sort of a society poet, um, after the revolution, became a pariah, became like a, a leftover from the uh, czarist days. This is one of her poems from that phase of her life. On the Road. This land is not mine, but it will be forever in my memory. And in the sea, tender, icy, and unsalted water. On the bottom, the sand is whiter than chalk, and the air is drunk like wine. And the rosy body of the pine trees is naked at the sunset hour. And the sunset itself in the waves of ether is such that I cannot say if it's the day's end the world's end, or if the mystery of mysteries is within me once again. Akhmatova later uh, would be one of those women who would wait in line for a chance to visit their, their son. In her case, her son was in prison whatever it was, un-Russian activity, un-Soviet activity. And she has a whole cycle of poetry, much more down-to-earth poetry than she had formerly written. And uh, waiting in line to see her son. of her classic poem, Daddy. Fitting one, you know. I guess a lot of people who uh, a lot of people who voted for Mr. Trump think of him as a daddy? Is that possible? I suppose. Um, people say that Latinos, men, Tejanos especially, voted for Trump because they share some of his values. That's a, a chilling thought, not just, of course, not just Tejanos and Latinos, but white men in general and white women. Okay, Daddy, you bastard, I'm through. Daddy, 
You do not do, you do not do any more black shoe in which I have lived like a foot for 30 years, poor and white, barely daring to breathe or chew. Daddy, I have had to kill you. You died before I had time, marble heavy, a bag full of God, ghastly statue with one gray toe big as a Frisco seal, and a head in the freakish Atlantic where it pours bean green over blue in the waters off beautiful Nosset. I used to pray to recover you, ach du, in the German tongue in the Polish town, scraped flat by the roller of wars, wars, wars. But the name of the town is common. My Polak friend says there are a dozen or two. So I never could tell where you put your foot, your root. I never could talk to you. The tongue stuck in my jaw. It's stuck in a barbed wire snare. Eek, 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 eek. I could hardly speak. I thought every German was you, and the language obscene, an engine, an engine, chuffing me off like a Jew, a Jew to Dachau, Auschwitz, Belsen. I began to talk like a Jew. I think I may well be a Jew. The snows of the Tyrol, the clear beer of Vienna, are not very pure or true. With my gypsy ancestress and my weird luck, and my tarok pack, and my tarok pack, I may be a bit of a Jew. I have always been scared of you, with your Luftwaffe, your gobbledygoo, and your neat moustache, and your Aryan eye, bright blue. Panzerman, Panzerman, oh you, not God, but a swastika, so black no sky could squeak through. Every woman adores a fascist, the boot in the face, the brute, brute heart of a brute like you. You stand at the blackboard, Daddy, and the picture I have of you, a cleft in your chin instead of your foot. But no less a devil for that, no not any less the black man who bit my pretty red heart in two. I was ten when they buried you. At twenty I tried to die and get back, back, back to you. I thought even the bones would do. But they pulled me out of the sack, and they stuck me together with glue. And then I knew what to do. I made a model of you, a man in black with a Mein Kampf look, and a love of the rack and the screw, and I said, I do, I do. So, Daddy, I'm finally through. The black telephone's off at the root, the voices just can't worm through. If I've killed one man, I've killed two. The vampire who said he was you and drank my blood for a year, seven years, if you want to know. Daddy, you can lie back now. There's a stake in your fat black heart, and the villagers never liked you. They are dancing and stamping on you. They always knew it was you. Daddy, daddy, you bastard, I'm through.
spin doctor's medicine. Corporation government selling me some cover up. Weaponizing pesticides, poisoning my groceries. Nothing but another drug, a license they can buy and sell. No, I don't mind dying.
of Buffy St. Marie songs. <clears throat> that last one might go for Trump supporters, huh? The one I love doesn't love me. Mr. Trump is using his supporters to raise money. Raise money. He claims it's to fight the good fight and overturn the election. But there's a disclaimer that says that up to 75% of the money can be used for Mr. Trump's personal campaign to pay his campaign debts. He doesn't want to use his own money, of course. I'm going to read now Yevgeny Yevtushenko's poem, Bobby Yar. Yevtushenko, of course, was a Russian poet. <coughs> Sort of a worldwide celebrity, uh, given credit for speaking out in the Soviet Union, beginning in the in the fifties. Uh, one never forgotten night. I I was at uh, UC Berkeley, and in Wheeler Auditorium, Yevtushenko read his poetry. And this poem, Babi Yar. And uh, there was such an overflow crowd that they filled up two other auditoriums. And uh, closed circuit TV coverage of Yevtushenko. Babi Yar, the site of a slaughter uh, where the Germans killed. Uh, 
tens of thousands of people one day. Over Babi Yar, there stand no monuments. Steep precipices like a crude gravestone. I am terrified. I am as old today as all Jewish people. Now I imagine that I'm a Jew. Here I wander through ancient Egypt, and here on the cross, crucified, I perish. And still have on me the marks of the nails. I imagine myself to be Dreyfus, a Philistine, my informer and judge. I am behind bars. I am surrounded, persecuted, spat upon, slandered. And dainty ladies in Brussels frills squealing poke their parasols into my face. I imagine myself the boy from Beberstock. Blood flows, running over the floors. The rabble-rousers in the tavern commit their outrages, reeking of vodka and onions, half and half. Kicked by a boot, I lie helpless. In vain, I plead with the pogrom makers, accompanied by jeers. Beat the Yids! Save Russia! A grain merchant batters my mother. Oh, my Russian people, I know you are innately international, but often those whose hands are vile in vain upset your purest dreams. I know the goodness of my land, what base flowness. Without a quiver of a vein, the anti-Semites proclaim themselves the union of the Russian people. I imagine myself as Anna Frank, transparent as a sprig in April, and love and have no need for phrases but I do need for us to gaze into each other. How little one can see or smell. Leaves we cannot have, sky we cannot have, but there is so much harder. To embrace tenderly in a darkened room. They're coming. Don't be afraid. Those are the booming sounds of spring itself. It's coming here. Come to me quickly. Give me your lips. They're breaking the door. No. No, it's ice breaking. Over Babi Yar, the wild grasses rustle. The trees look sternly as if in judgment. Here everything screams silently. And taking off my hat, I feel I am slowly turning gray. I myself am one long, soundless cry above the thousand thousands buried here. I am every old man here shot dead. I am every child here shot dead. Nothing in me will ever forget this. Internacional. Let it thunder and forever it will be buried. The last of the There is no Jewish blood in me, but I am adamant and convinced by all Semite convictions that I am highly Jewish. That is, I am a true Russian.
So yes, uh, Bobby Yai. Beautiful poem, beautiful, uh, again, bardic style, calling out, calling out a race, the voice of a race. Listen to John Trudeau. Trudeau was a Native American poet, what people ignorant white people used to call a medicine man. <laughs> John Trudeau, Power and the Great Lie. we can get one of his poems. one mining minds we are going through an identity crisis as human beings we don't identify and recognize ourselves or participate in this reality from the perceptional reality of a human being we do it we do it from gender we do it from race we do it from religion we do it from blah 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 we do it from all these different things but we don't participate in this reality with the perceiving reality as a human being and no matter how you look at race, gender, or any of the other things that we participate in class, any of these other things, every one of those things participates in reality from some form of feeling as though they're a victim. They're just psychologically programmed in. So we need to remember that we're human beings. We need to think and feel and see like human beings because that's what the whole industrialized civilization, civilizing process was about and is about is to, to erase our ability to recognize ourselves as human beings. This is about altering perceptual reality. This is how you change spiritual perceptions of reality. You get the human being to no longer 
understand being a human being, and then you've altered their spiritual reality, man, and you really have major big time, and after that, it's always about ketchup. It's a human being. So we need to remember that. Whatever, whatever it is that we're dealing with, we need to think like human beings. Our power. And this is where it's important to understand about being a human being, because we don't recognize ourselves as a human recognize ourselves as human beings human bone flesh and blood alright is made up of the DNA our DNA we're made up of the metals minerals and liquids of the earth we are shapes of the earth we have being all things of the earth are made up of the, they have the same DNA everything on the earth same metals minerals and liquids make everything on the earth everything on the earth has being we all have being our being comes from our relationship to the sun-sky universe. It's, it's literally like sunlight. It's like the sperm that brings life to the water-bearing womb that is the earth. So our relationship as human beings to the reality of power is in our relationship to that reality. You know, being, our power, right? So we're in this perceptual technologic reality where we, we know that they can take the flesh and blood that's called uranium and put it through a mining process in the fossils and convert its being into a form of energy to run a system. Well, they do that to us. <laughs> Take the being part of human, right? And through mining our minds, through the indoctrination and programming of how to perceive reality, they use our intelligence. They use our minds, all right, to mine the energy, our being, and turn it into a form of energy to run their system. And they do this because we're human beings. This is why we have to remember who we are. Now we, and we know that when you take, when, when you take the other life, life forms, being is, is a life form. So whether it's a stone life form, when you take the other life forms, right, and you put them through this mining process, it leaves behind poison and toxic waste. And we're, we're aware of that. Well, when you mine the being part of human, all right, it leaves behind poison, and toxic waste, and the poison and toxic waste are the fears, the doubts, and the insecurities, all right, that become a part of our perceptual, re perceptual reality. So once the mining has taken place, we no longer rem remember we're human beings, and we're participating in reality based upon our perception of reality through our inabilities. Our fears, our doubts, and our insecurities. Get behind the bravado, I mean, away from the, the bravado and the mask, and <laughs> all the paint and stuff, right? Down to the reality. Basically, we participate in this reality based upon our perception of our inabilities. Now, take that, all right? Now, how many of you have ever had a moment of feeling powerless when you were sitting in a room, all right, or had this feeling powerless, all right? And through your fears and your doubts and your insecurities, how bad can you make yourself feel? And then, how does that affect the people around you? All right? Well, there's an obvious contradiction here. You're not powerless. We've just been programmed to believe we're powerless while we're using our power, all right, to disrespect ourselves and everything around us in a negative way. And every bit of that was programmed into how we're into how we perceive reality. So it's not about powerlessness. It's about recognizing who we are and using that power in a healthy way. So it's really an issue of coherence. If we, if we understand that we're human beings and we access our power through 
co clear and coherent use of our intelligence, then we manifest. Right? Then we can create and manifest the reality that we need. And we have to understand it. We do it all the time because if we sit around and make ourselves feel miserable, then we're manifesting that reality. See, so it's just a matter of a slight perception. <laughs> Shift of perception of, of how we perceive reality. The power of our intelligence. See, now, and everyone that wants a spiritual relationship to life and whatever the spiritual quest is to me, in my own mind, and I mean no disrespect to anybody, you know, I, to me, it isn't going to be real to the Creator until we use the gifts that the Creator gave us in the way the Creator gave them to us. See, it's, all of it is lip service. You know, well, I'm sorry, but lip service isn't going to synchronize us with our power. To show respect to our Creator, then we need to show the respect. We need to respect the intelligence our Creator gave us and use it clearly and coherently. See, th th this is how the prayers get answered. This is how the thing starts to happen. Because we're, we're adding coherent, we're, we're introducing coherency into the reality of energy. If there's anything that this predator energy fears, anything that they fear, it's a clear, coherent, thinking human being. They don't care if you've got a gun, a bomb. They don't care if you hijack air. They don't care about any of that because they got more guns, more bombs, more airplanes. They invented the gun, guns, the bombs, and the airplanes. They don't care. They, they, see, because that feeds into the energy of chaos and incoherency. To use the intelligence as clearly and coherently as possible. Now, so, the, so a way, a part of the programming has taken effect. A way, a part, a part of the way that it has worked is they have turned the human beings into citizens and religions and things. All right, but they have taken away our ability to think. I mean, they haven't really taken away because the ability's there, but they've, but they've taken away us our understanding that we have that ability. They have replaced thinking with believing. All right. Now, I never. Your own little poll as you're wandering around reality. How many times do you hear people say I think versus how many times do you hear people say I believe? Well, believing and thinking, they're two different things. <laughs> All right? All right? And actually, believe has a lie right in the middle. <laughs> All right? Now, think about that. reality is, if I, <laughs> if I believe, I mean in reality, that means I don't know. <laughs> Why don't I just say it? <laughs> if you believe, that means you don't know. But you won't go around and have conversations with people saying, I don't know this, I don't know that. So you just go around and say, well, I believe this, I believe that. <laughs> it, it's a nice little trick, but it's just keeping us completely disconnected from the reality of our power. See, it's like, Every, it's a vibratory, everything about energy, it's a vibratory reality. I mean, we project electromagnetic thought in scientific terms, <laughs> right? So everything. So words are sounds that we make. See, and thoughts are things, our thoughts are way, it's a different kind of sound that we're sending out there. And it has its own vibratory thing. So the words that we make, the sounds that we make should have something to do, I, I think, all right, in a tonal way, vibrating with what the thinking is doing. See, so I think that they've created language, see, that they alter these, am I 
confusing? So I think they've taken language, see, and they've created certain words, sounds, that neutralize what's being thought. Just in the vibratory thing, because everything's about energy. So, because, and as an example, so when I sit around and say I believe this and I believe that, that means I'm not going to think about it. And it just means, plain and simply put, I'm not going to think about it. Because I already believe it. And that's the way the, sh the thinking process gets shut down. Native American poet and uh, um, shaman, John Trudeau, talking about believing versus thinking, talking about how our minds are being mined by the uh, commercial and uh, oppressive interests all around us. like to end up with some labor history. This is, after all, a labor show, and we dedicated it today to poetry. Mm, let's play one more. There's one more I want to play. This might be uh, put a cap on the whole thing. White man ever had a god time. It's Mr. Trump. Up down on the corner, uptown. I turn around and hear the sound. A voice is talking about who's gonna die next. Cause the white man's got a god complex. Silent niggas scream for help. Jim Dale died next cause the white man's got a God complex. Hey, brother, what's your sport, my man? I got just the thing for you. Only cost 10 and 2. What you gonna do, baby? I got black ones, brown ones, red ones, yellow ones. I even got a white one if you want to buy some. Yeah, that's right. 258. Play it straight. I got it all worked out. Know what I'm talking about. Been reading my dream book. Ain't no way in the world the kid gonna get to what you mean I didn't hit nigga you full of shit lick dies uh, now seven come on be nice and hit eleven well what do you know it's little joe hey my man got twenty dollars say little joe don't blow ha baby needs a pair of shoes ha papa's got the funky blues ha mama plays the crossword in the news snake eyes sorry nigga you lose the line forms to the real lady and I don't care if you never cash your welfare check cause the white man's got a God complex. But I got ten babies, I ain't got no man. I ain't got no choice but to hold out my hand and feed my young ones the best way I can. Hey, man, what you mean no doubles on blackjack? Pump, you better change that rule, cause I ain't no fool. You better be cool, Jim, or you'll die next. Cause the white man's got a God complex. Hey, 
hey, my man, uh, I want to cop a nickel bag. Uh, you say all oh, you got is gag. Wow, that's a drag, because uh, I don't want to cop no dope is death. Next cause, the white man's got a god complex. Hey, baby, what's the gig at tonight? Well, there's one over at Slicks for faggots and tricks. There's one around graveyard side of town that'll cost you a pound. But if you go and know what I know, you better pack your piece at least, or you'll die next. Cause the white man's got a god complex. Mr. Stan, I done paid enough rent for this pad to be mine. But you just want to cheat me because I ain't your kind. Damn, can't you see the place is falling down? No, you can't dig it because you ain't never around. Damn, I'm so poor, I don't know what in the hell I'm going to do anymore. Not from this day to the next. Cause the white man's got a god complex. I'm making guns. I'm God. I'm God. I'm making Trump might say that. I'm God, I'm God, I'm God. White man's got a God complex. Okay, I want to finish up with some labor history. Labor history in two. Okay, ever wonder how the time clock got started? <laughs> Here's the history of the time clock. Hope we can play it. This day in labor history, the year was 1888. That was the day that William LeGrand Bundy is credited with inventing something that has become a daily part of life for millions of workers. His time recorder was a time clock that could record when workers arrived and left their jobs each day. The clock would record the time on a paper tape when a worker inserted his or her individualized numbered key. Bundy was a jeweler and an inventor from New York. After inventing his time clock, he went into business with his brother Harlow and founded the Bundy Manufacturing Company. With the growth of factories, there was more and more demand for time clocks. They were considered more exact and efficient than human timekeeping. Keeping track of hours worked and labor costs became an essential part of squeezing every drop of profit out of the industrial workforce. The Bundy brothers located their company in the city of Binghamton in southern New York. Business thrived. Other inventors put their own twist on the time clock. At the turn of the 20th century, the Bundy company merged with several other timekeeping outfits, 
forming the International Time Recorder Company. Workers across the United States, Canada, and Europe had their work hours recorded by international time clocks. Later, the company became part of International Business Machines, or IBM, one of the worldwide leaders in workplace technology. Over the years, new innovations have been introduced to employee timekeeping, such as time cards and computer-linked swipe cards. Labor History in Two, brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1945. That was the day that 320,000 United Auto Workers went out on strike against General Motors. The strike was part of a wave of work actions that washed over the country after World War II. Workers were growing more and more frustrated that company profits were soaring while workers' wages remained stagnant. During the war, most unions had abided by no-strike pledges. But once the war was over, workers wanted their fair share of the growing American economy. In just one year, 5 million workers participated in more than 4,500 strikes. The GM strikers demanded a 30% pay increase. Walter Ruther, president of the UAW, also insisted that the company could meet this demand without raising the prices of their vehicles. He asked the company to open their books so workers and the public could see the full details of the company's profits. GM refused. They characterized Ruther as a socialist for even making such an outrageous request. During negotiations, Harry Cohen, the GM assistant director of personnel, told President Ruther, quote, why don't you get down to your size and get down to the type of job you're supposed to be doing as a trade union leader and talk about money you would like to have for your people and let the labor statesmanship go to hell for a while. The GM strike lasted 113 days. The workers won a 17.5% pay increase and improvements to vacation and overtime. But they did not get to look at GM's books or gain any say on how GM vehicles were priced. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on the Twitters at Labor History in Two. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1982. That Tuesday, the National Football League players ended their 57-day strike. The league scrambled to get the new season going, scheduling games for that very next Sunday. The shortened nine-game season included two games played before the walkout and the rest after the strike ended. The biggest issue that led to the strike was compensation and benefits. The NFL had seen a surge in television revenue with a new five-year contract worth $2.1 billion. The players asked for 55% of the league's growing profits. The Players Association also wanted a minimum pay scale based on years of service and improvements in health care and retirement benefits. The owners flatly refused. 
On September 20th, the Green Bay Packers beat the New York Giants in a Monday night football game. The next day, the New York Daily News reported, quote, for the first time in its 63-year history, labor troubles will throw the NFL for a loss. By a unanimous vote of its executive committee, the league's Players Association yesterday voted to call a strike. The article continued by writing, quote, the players stressed that they had been forced to call the strike in frustration over what they termed management's twin failures to take them seriously and to bargain in good faith. Sports Illustrated summed up fan sentiments about the strike with a cover headline reading over the image of a deflated football. Finally, the two sides came to an agreement. The players won raises, bonuses based on years in the league, and severance packages for retiring players. But the gains were far below the union's goals. Bitterness lingered, and five years later, the players would be on strike once again. Like what you hear? Check out more at laborhistoryin2.com. Okay, that was Rick Smith, the uh, Illinois Labor Society. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor. The Illinois Labor Society's Labor History in Two Minutes. And it's uh, about time for me to get out of here and leave the mic to Scott Walker. Flat black plastic. Remember, this is the B. Tune in again next week at 10. Labor and Love Radio. One person gets a dollar they didn't work for. Someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. You don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, that is, where you work. You're on the menu. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's just a waste of time. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. See you next week. Talk to you next week. Have a good week and good work in these difficult times. Without a patter. Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutiny radio.fm.
From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> As the world gets wackier and less predictable in every way, it is more important than ever for us to all remember our roots. We wouldn't be here today if our ancestors hadn't had the capacity and the skills to take care of themselves and their communities using the resources in the natural world around them and their own two hands. My name is Wonia Tibo of Buckskin Revolution and Alone Season 6, and I started Buckskin Revolution not just to empower people with a wider range of skills to meet their basic needs, but also to inspire them with a sense of fulfillment and connection that comes with living a little closer to the earth and using our bodies, our minds, and our very DNA for what they evolved to do, to help us thrive without the need for modern technology and industry. If that sounds appealing to you, I hope you'll join me for the Fall 2020 Buckskin Revolution Online Skills Gathering, an eight-week learning experience designed to work within any schedule. It involves pre-recorded classes, live interactive sessions, and online community learning support from both myself and your fellow students. The need for these skills has never been more pressing, and Buxton Revolution is working hard to bring them to you. I hope you can join us. Get connected with yourself and the world around you at buckskinrevolution.com. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience, like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead parasols? Well, shoot. From time to time, I do thought of Duke. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two people paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvement. No way. What is this dag-nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radio. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radio. <laughs> hey, you, poetry reader. This is Bjork's sister, Mjork. It's okay. We also have a show and a weekly poetry reading on Mutiny Radio's AltaCast. Zoom. Every Wednesday at high noon from Glasgow, Scotland. One of our co-hosts from Choose Poetry, Choose Life, Andy Talbot, has a new poetry chapbook, Old Wounds, New Skin, which is available at analogsubmission.com now. Go buy it and don't let poets lie to you. 
Once again, that's Andy Talbot's new poetry chapbook, Old Wounds, New Skin, available at analogsubmission.com. Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube. We watch the best movies that, uh, aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by uh, Here's you. his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch FM. Hit the donate button, stream them live, download a podcast, have some fun! The Ministry of Lava manages our national lava resources to ensure that we will always have a steady supply of lava to operate the nation's active volcanoes, which in turn power our cities and methamphetamine labs. As a matter of national security, we need to reduce our dependence on foreign lava, which means an expansion of domestic lava drilling. As your chancellor, I will build lava wells all over the country as well as secure access to more lava fields by invading Hawaii. Imagine orange gold spurting out from school playgrounds on the Great Plains and illuminating the Nebraska sky like fireworks on the 4th of July. Magma oozing over the rolling hills of Kentucky. Volcanic ash settling gently over homes in New England like fresh gray snow. If you want global lava markets to continue to be dominated by terriblest regimes like Iceland, Chile, and the Philippines, vote for my opponent, who sits in their back pocket as comfortably as Pahoehoe on the slopes of Kilauea. If you want the United States to stay competitive in the era of peak lava and beyond, then take a chance 
on the Chancellor. from noon to two. 